0: Welcome to church. So glad you guys are with us, and if you are tuning in online, and thank you for joining us. We're excited that you are with us. You might be wondering, where is Pastor Will? Well, his daughter, Allie, is actually getting married this weekend, and so yeah, they're together celebrating as a family with Zach and Allie and their wedding, so that's exciting. But he's going to be back next Sunday, continuing the series we've been in called Renovating Your Heart, and he's been walking us on this journey of us having this personal and spiritual transformation where we begin to look more like Jesus. It has been so good and so challenging already in the first couple of weeks, and so you're going to want to be back next week for sure. But also, if you've missed any of those weeks, you can go to our website at brazosfellowship.com. You can get caught up on any of those messages. Just click on the watch tab, and you may not know this, but we have a podcast here at Brazos Fellowship And what we do is we take our Sunday message and we turn it into a podcast so that I could stand up here and say, we have a podcast here at Brazos Fellowship. But if you would like that delivered to your phone every week, you can just search for Brazos Fellowship on your favorite podcast app and you can get that sent to your phone. It's magic. I don't know how it works. It just shows up. If you listen to podcasts, it just like poof, there's a new one on my phone. I don't know how that happened. I guess it's like technology or something. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Chris. I am the college pastor here at Brazos Fellowship. I've been on staff for a little over eight years, and normally on Sunday mornings, I get to be up there in the balcony. There's a camera up there. Everybody say, hi, Rocco. Yeah, Rocco's up there and there's lights and a camera and I get to be up there hosting our 10 o'clock stream for our online service, which I love so much. It's been really, really cool to see what God has done in the last 18 months as we've had the opportunity to enter into your living room and be with people in their homes With our online stream. I have loved it so much. I also love the chance to get up here and share with you this morning. So, man, it's good. I I wanna show you a picture of my family because, well, I like my family a lot. And so, here is my family. So, my wife Alicia and I have been married for, it'll be 12 years in August and we have two little girls. Landry is five, and she just graduated from pre-K, so we have another graduate in the house. We're excited about that, and then Campbell is three. Being a husband and a father is for sure my most important and most challenging role for sure, but I love it so, so much. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, I'm probably going to show my age a little bit, but does anyone like Twitter? Do we have any Twitter people? I was shocked I guess I'm not shocked, because, oh, there there we go. There was a hand. Thank you. There was a hand. There are like a billion people on Twitter, but apparently me and him are the only people in this room that like Twitter. Uh, and in the 830 service, no one raised their hand. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I like Twitter. I feel like as a college pastor, I'm supposed to tell you that I like Instagram, and Snapchat, and TikTok, and whatever new thing that I don't even know about yet, right? But there's just something about the limited characters, and the pithy back and forth of Twitter that just draws me in. I'm just like, oh, just gonna keep scrolling. This is so good. I was on Twitter not that long ago, when I saw this. It said, never make a decision based on emotion. Never make a decision, and I'm, I'm reading that, and I'm like, never? Man, that's, that's pretty extreme. Like, I wish that it had said most of the time, don't make a decision based on emotions. I'm like, that, that's actually pretty good advice, right? Like, you probably shouldn't make a lot of big, life-altering decisions, just depending on how you're feeling in the moment. That may not end well for you, but this idea of never making a decision, like, I, I like making decisions based on emotions. Like, it's fun sometimes. Like, I, I like it. I, I heard the other day that the older we get, the more in love we are with our opinion, and with our feelings and emotions. I don't know if it's true, but at 39, I can relate to this because I have never been more in love with my opinion. Just ask my wife, Alicia. I also have never been more in love with my feelings and emotions, just ask any of our college students because they are constantly, like, texting each other during a message or especially, like, when we're getting to the end, we're about to pray and they're like, is he gonna cry? You think he's gonna cry, right? So, like, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I just embrace it, I'm fine with it, but I've never been more in love with it. If I feel something, I have convinced myself it must be real, right? Surely I'm not the only one that feels like that. If I feel something, it must be real, And so it doesn't matter if the facts say different, like, eh, get out of here with those facts. It doesn't matter if my wife tells me differently. It's like, no, I feel that it must be real. Why is any of this relevant? This is relevant because today I want to look at a letter that is written to some first century Jewish believers. And they are in this moment kind of crisis, where they have some important decisions they need to make about their future, about their trajectory, about what is happening in their life, and and their emotions, how they're feeling, is actually the lens they're looking through to make these decisions. And, And so the writer of Hebrews engages in their story and writes to them in their journey, and it's probably a good idea that he didn't just tweet at them and say, hey, don't make a decision based on your emotions. Now, I get it. It makes sense why they feel... Like they need to make some decisions. Their their world has been turned upside down. This is a group of people that have followed Jesus. They had relationship with him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They engaged with him. It wasn't just based on feelings. Sure, they had feelings for Jesus, but it wasn't just based on feelings alone. And now the rug has been pulled out from underneath them. Because one minute Jesus was here and the next minute Jesus is gone and they're starting to face all of this persecution and there's all of this confusion and chaos and their friends and their family and their coworkers, some of them are losing their life simply because they believe that Jesus is God. And so they have come to this place and they're huddled together and they're starting to ask this question: Is it worth it? Like, is it is it worth it for us? to continue down this path? Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the confusion? And so the the writer of Hebrews meets them in their journey and writes this letter to say, hey, I get it. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling like you maybe want to throw in the towel, like maybe maybe you want to give up. Like, I, I get it, but I need you to understand something. You are not alone. You're also not the first group of people that have come to this moment and had these kinds of questions and these kinds of struggles. And so the writer of Hebrews begins to tell story after story after story of these these heroes of faith. These are people that these first century Jewish believers would know well. Like when you mention their name, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard that story before. And so when we pick up this trip down memory lane, it's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and it says this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is mentioned more than any other hero of faith. In fact the writer goes into quite a bit of detail unpacking Abraham's story and his journey and this is in an attempt to connect Abraham's story with the story of these first century Jewish believers and remind them like hey Abraham is this, this hero of faith this guy that you look up to this guy that you admire he didn't have it all figured out he he didn't have all of the details he didn't even know where he was going but he said yes he said yes and he set out on this journey, and so the writer is encouraging these believers, hey, keep following Jesus. I know that your emotions are playing into this. And I know you're struggling with this decision, but keep following Jesus. How did Abraham come to this place where he could say yes? Romans 4.3 gives us a little bit of insight. It says this, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his what? Because of his faith. He believed God. So if faith is the reason that Abraham can say yes, then what is faith? Like Our working definition this morning of faith let, let's use this. it's going to be this: Faith is to be persuaded or convinced. To be a person of faith means that you're persuaded of something, that you're convinced that you can put your trust in something outside of your control. It's, uh, it's kind of like this stage okay, me standing on the stage, you sitting in your seats or or sitting in on your couch at home, like, I put faith in the fact that this stage is going to hold me up, right? Now, there's there's evidence to support that. Like, we all saw the band and Megan out here a little while ago. It held them up just fine, so it's probably going to hold me up. I've been on this stage before, so it's safe to assume that I'll be fine. It Feels, I know you probably have not been on the stage before, but it feels pretty sturdy. It's well-constructed, okay? The, the chair you're sitting in or the couch you're sitting on at home may not feel like it's going to collapse out from underneath you. But at the end of the day, I cannot say, and you cannot say, with 100% absolute certainty, no matter what, it's not going to fail, right? Like, I hope it doesn't. I have put my trust in the fact. It would be really embarrassing right now if the stage just collapsed underneath me right? It would just be like, see you next week. I'm going home. But we put our faith in something that we can't control because we've been convinced. We've been persuaded. It's like this divine persuasion. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 again about Abraham. It says this, it was by faith by divine persuasion, Abraham believed that God could be trusted. And so, because he believed that God could be trusted, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. Check this out. He went without knowing where he was going. He set out on this journey, and he had no idea where he was even headed. But he trusted that God was good. He was convinced that God was for him. He had come to this place where he was persuaded that God was with him and that the companion he was traveling with was going to get him where he needed to go. Now, I think a lot of times I, and, and maybe all of us can relate to this, I, I assume some things about God. I think sometimes I assume that if I if I check the boxes, if I do what I'm supposed to do, right, if I, I'm nice to my neighbor, if I read my Bible a few times a week, if I show up or tune in to the Sunday service or or if I pray before my meals, that somehow the collection of all of those things will come together, in the way that I engage with God, and I'm just, I'm going to have clarity, things are going to make sense, I'm going to know what to do, and when to do it, there are going to be just as many answers as there are questions, the path in front of me is going to be illuminated, and I'm just going to know what to do and where to go. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you're like, Chris, it doesn't work that way, right? Like, sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. Implicit in this idea of faith is that even though we don't understand we still choose to trust even though we don't have all of the answers we're still persuaded and convinced that God is good and God is with us and so this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing saying hey I get it it's hard emotions are high you feel like everything you knew has changed There's a culture war going on. Your your friends and family are losing their houses. Some of them have lost their lives. Some of them have lost their jobs. You're feeling the weight and the pressure of what's going on around you. It feels like people who used to be friends are now turning on each other. Does that sound familiar? I'm not standing up here pretending that I know what your story is or what your journey has been. even what the last 18 months have looked like for you. And I'm definitely not making light of any of those things. And some of my friends and family have been deeply impacted by COVID, by the economy, by the job market, by the housing market. But I think that sometimes I need a reminder, I need to take a step back. And I need to recognize and I need to remember that there are people around me that are experiencing a lot of the same things that I'm experiencing, and I convince myself that I'm all alone, and I convince myself that I'm just out, lost at sea, wandering with no hope and no tether, but I need to remember that if I'll just open up a little bit, that God has already surrounded me with people, and even more than that, if it that is not encouragement enough, he also has given us this amazing example of all of these people who have come before us that have walked this path already they have blazed a trail they have set an example of what it looks like for us that when emotions are high that when we're struggling that when we're frustrated that when we feel confused and we don't have the clarity that we need they have already shown us what it looks like to trust god anyway i'm not talking about blind faith Okay? Blind faith is this idea that um, I believe in something even without reason. Even though everything says to the contrary, I still choose to believe it just because I want to. Just because my grandmother said it was true, I haven't looked into it or experienced it myself. I just choose to believe it just because. That would be what blind faith is. But I'm not talking about blind faith. Let me illustrate it like this. I've had shoulder, shoulder surgery, and I went to see the orthopedic surgeon, and he pulled out a copy of my mri a picture of my mri he's like this is your shoulder and i was like yeah that's why i'm here and he's like here's here's the problem and i was like yes doc exactly that that's exactly what i thought the problem was that's back here right And he's like no actually it's up here and i'm like okay fine i'll let you do the talking and then he begins to explain what's wrong with my shoulder and what we're going to do about it he's like you tore your labrum And we need to do a bicep tendinesis where we detach your bicep from your labrum. We're going to put a screw in your shoulder. We're going to anchor your bicep to the screw in your shoulder. We're going to clean it up. We're going to anchor your labrum back to your shoulder where it actually is supposed to be in the first place. And then we're going to stitch you all up. We're going to put you in one of those cool immobilization slings with a big pad. And uh, you're not going to be able to move your arm for eight weeks. Can't even lift your toothbrush, okay? Have you ever tried to brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand? <laughs> I was actually thinking about this this morning while I was brushing my teeth, and I was like, oh, man, I remember. Oh, that bad memories, okay? If you haven't done it, try it, and then let me know how it goes, okay? Uh, I already know the answer. But he, he goes, and he, he's like, you're going to have to do all this stuff. There's going to be all this PT. And then he finishes talking, and I look at him, and I'm like, "Doctor, are you sure we have to do all of this? And he just looks at me, he's like, This is what I do. I said, Okay, sign me up. I decided to put my shoulder in the hands of a specialist because that's what he does. Let me tell you a little bit about what God does God guides people, God leads people, God walks with people, even when we don't understand how it works. Even when we can't figure out how we're going to get from where we are to where we're supposed to be, God is with us. Psalm 139 tells us that he charts the path before us, and he tells us where to stop and rest. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. We can make our plans, right? We're good at making plans. I have my college plan, my career plan, my family plan, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my retirement plan, right? All of these plans, my trajectory is headed this way, and then God's like, actually, like, here, I've determined your path, and this is the direction that I want you to head. Like, we can make all of these plans, but God determines our path. God has been guiding people for thousands of years. That's what he does. He's good. He can be trusted. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. God is the creator of the universe, and it says he holds the universe in the palm of his hands, that he breathed the stars into existence. And even in the midst of all of that, he knows the exact number of hairs on your head right this moment, because he holds you together with his thoughts. God can be trusted. And so maybe it's not so crazy to think that when God says, move, Or, God says, stay, and we ask him, okay, but how long is this going to take? And we feel like he doesn't give us a clear answer, that we don't let that deter us. So I looked at the doctor, I said, open me up, I'm putting my shoulder in the hands of a specialist, I don't know how we're going to get there, I don't know what the path is going to look like, I can't even spell all of the words of what you explained need to happen but I trust you because that's what you do, and I'm convinced, I'm persuaded after talking to you that I'm going to be better off on the other side of this journey than I am standing here right now, and so I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Why are we so quick to put our trust and our faith in doctors? in our family, our friends, our community, people who tell us what our life should look like or what our trajectory should be or what our path should be. We're so quick to put our, hands, our life in their hands, but yet we struggle so much to do this with God. It's like, okay, God, that, that sounds good, but I'm gonna need a few more details before I sign up for this trip. Could you like, explain it, how we're gonna get there, what we're gonna do? My, my five-year-old Landry does this all the time. We tell her we're going to the grandparents for the weekend, and she starts asking a million questions. Some people would call it a conversation. I would call it an interrogation. If you haven't met my five-year-old, she can be pretty intimidating. And so it's like, hey, when are we going to leave? What car are we going to take? What movies are going to be in the car? Is Sissy going with us? Like, when are we going to pack our bags? What are we going to eat for lunch on the road? I'm like, it's five days away. I don't know what we're eating for lunch today, much less five days from now what bed am I going to sleep in? Who are we going to see while we're there? And if at any point in this, we'll we'll call it a conversation, any point in this conversation, she doesn't like the answer that is given to her, or she doesn't get enough details, she's just like, hmm, and she pouts about it, right? I do this all the time with God. I do this all the time i'm like god i need to know i need to know how long the season is going to last i need to know what path i'm supposed to take what the decision is who i'm supposed to talk to where i'm going to be what life is going to look like on the other side of this i'm like i need details i need details and i think it's because so often we are convinced that with god everything is about a destination everything's about a destination, right? It's like I I read my Bible so that I can gain insight on how to handle a situation. I, I pray because I hope that in praying it will help me like change my status or that God will give me what I need. I attend church because I'm convinced that maybe it's a good business decision because I rub shoulders with the right people and I'm more prominent in the community and it becomes about this destination with God. But what if it was not about any of those things? What if it wasn't about the next check mark or it wasn't about the next exit or the next mile marker? what if it was always about Jesus? I think we need to come to this place where we get comfortable in our faith just saying, I don't know. Hey, when, when are you going to get that promotion at work? You deserve it. I don't know, but I trust God. Hey, when, when are you going to get married? I don't know, but I'm persuaded that God is with me in this season of singleness. When are you going to graduate college? Okay, that's a bad question. I have no idea when they're going to graduate college, okay? But what if we just got comfortable saying, I don't know, but I trust that God is with me. I trust that God is for me. I think so often in our life, our relationship with God is is kind of like walking in a fog we just need to get comfortable with this idea of walking in a fog have you ever walked out in the morning to a morning fog and you're like is this heaven <laughs> because I'm really convinced that I parked my car right there last night and I, I can't see it it's like 10 feet away and I, I can't see it but You go back inside, finish getting ready for work, and the fog kind of dissipates a little, so you get in your car, you start driving to work, and then you hit another patch of fog. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, I thought it cleared up, and here we are again in the middle of the fog. And so you have to slow down a little bit, make sure that you're safe, but your GPS is telling you where to go. Just keep your car pointed in the same direction. You've been down this path before. It's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, the fog lifts, and you look around, and you're like, okay. We're good. We made it. I'm headed where I'm supposed to be. And actually, it's kind of beautiful. I've never noticed how pretty it is on my drive to work before. Man, I think our relationship with God is like this a lot. That it's just kind of like being in the fog, that there are going to be these moments where we have clarity. And we feel like we know what the next decision is or what comes next or where we're supposed to head. And we're like, thank you, God, for showing me my future, my spouse, whatever it is. Like, thank you, God, for all this clarity, all these answers for, for just taking care of me. And then all of a sudden, the fog just lands. And we're like, God, where, where did you go, God? It must be Satan. He's the great fogger. <laughs> it's like, God, God, could you could you just like Give me a little bit of clarity. And then the fog lifts, and we're like, okay, we're good, right? We're headed where we're supposed to go. God, thank you. Thank you. And then the fog settles again. We're like, no, God, come on. I I thought we went over this already. Like, could you get rid of this fog? And maybe, maybe God was just like, hey, I I thought that it could just be you and me for a little while. Like, maybe we could just, like, hang out. Instead of chasing something, instead of always making it about something else or trying to arrive somewhere, I thought maybe... Maybe it could just be you and me. But we're so intent on chasing. And when the fog settles, we don't know what to do. But maybe it's just about being with God. I want to look at one more story before we wrap up. My wife and I have been going through the Bible recap. It's this year-long reading plan uh, through the entire Bible chronologically. There's a daily podcast that comes out. It's super great. It doesn't matter if you get through it in a year what's cool is that you're walking through it. So I encourage you, check it out. It's really, really helpful. But back in March, we were doing this plan, and, and it had us reading through numbers. Now, if you've never read numbers before, numbers is exactly what you would expect from a book named Numbers. Yeah, it's numbers. It's census details and tribe sizes and populations and yes i understand that's three ways of saying the exact same thing it's a lot of measurements it's just a whole lot of details and numbers and it can be very easy to get overwhelmed when you're reading through numbers but as we were going through it in march there's this narrative kind of tucked in the middle of the book that talks about some of the time that the israelites spent in the desert now if you're not familiar with the story. About 300 years after Abraham, the, this guy that we've been talking about this morning, about 300 years later, God calls this guy Moses, and he says, Hey, hey Moses, my people, the Israelites are in Egypt. They're in slavery, and I want to rescue them from slavery, and I've decided that you are the person I want to use to do this. And so after some back-and-forth dialogue, eventually Moses relents, and he's like, Okay, God, I'll do this. And so Moses sets out. He goes to Egypt. God uses him to rescue his people And as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they are headed to Canaan. Now, Canaan is the promised land. This is the inheritance. It's what God had promised Abraham 300 years before. And so as the Israelites are headed, they're headed to Canaan. Now, the journey from Egypt to Canaan is about two weeks, give or take, by foot. The Israelites took 40 years to get from Egypt to Canaan man, I don't care how slow you walk, they got lost, right? There's a lot of reasons, and, and so often, I'm being honest, like so often when I've heard that story and read that story, I've just thought about, i lumped the 40 years together, say it was because of their selfishness, because of their arrogance, because of their like defiance, they made all these really, really bad decisions, and so they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. And that's true of about 38 of those years. The last 38 of those years are because of their foolishness and and just defiance towards God. But the first two years of their journey, that's actually not the case at all. It was two weeks to get to Canaan. And for the first two years, I want to look at what they were doing and why they didn't just go straight. We're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter 9. It says this. On the day the tabernacle was set up, this was like the meeting place with God, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Check this out. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning, but day or night when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. It finishes like this. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. Wow. This pillar of fire, this cloud that it's talking about, that is raising and lowering, this is the presence of God manifest among the people of Israel. And and these people, it was two weeks to get to the promised land. It was like it was right there. But they weren't concerned about how fast they could arrive at a destination. They just wanted to be where God was. And so when the cloud would settle, they would set up camp, pitch their tents, and hang out. And they would go about life, and they would stay there. And it said that the seasons changed. Sometimes it was overnight. Sometimes it was a month. Sometimes it was a year. And as long as the cloud was there, as long as the fog was there they hung out because they wanted to be where God was. And then the fog or the cloud would lift and they would have some clarity about where they were supposed to be, even if it took them away from the promised land, away from the destination. They just wanted to go where God was leading them. What if we took a page out of their playbook? What if we followed their lead and rather than chasing a destination, rather than trying to end up in the promised land where society or culture tells us this is what you should look like, this is what your relationship status should be, this is the house you should buy, rather than chasing what all of our friends and family tell us should be important to us and the next destination, the promised land, whatever our version of that is, what if instead of pursuing those things, we just said, I want to be where God is. And that means I might have to pitch a tent in the fog and I might feel a little lost and I might feel like I don't have a lot of clarity and I might be asking God, what is going on? But if this is where God is, this is where I wanna be. I'm not saying God doesn't give us clarity. I'm not saying that. Absolutely, I think God gives us clarity. When I met my wife, Alicia, no joke, the first time I saw her, instantly I knew, that's the girl I'm gonna marry felt like God made that abundantly clear to me when I came on staff here at the church this was not my promised land I'll be honest okay this was not my plan I had made my plans but the Lord had determined my path I was pursuing something else and when I got the opportunity and offered I took like two and a half months to decide but as I prayed about it man the fog lifted God gave me clarity and said this is what I have for you I definitely believe God gives us clarity. But I also believe that there are going to be seasons and moments and times where we need to be comfortable in the uncertainty, in the fog, where maybe we feel like we're by ourselves, that God isn't with us anymore. And I'm here this morning to remind you, just as the writer of Hebrews is reminding all of us, you're not alone. Be persuaded be convinced that God is good, that he is with you, that he is for you. It has always been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And so what if today we came to this place where we could just be still and know that he's God? Once again, thanks for listening.